electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. All right, Carl, thanks so much. Welcome to the Halftime Show. I am Scott Wapner, front and center this hour, the market's moment of truth. A historic Fed decision now just two hours away. Your money hanging on every word Jay Powell says today. Our investment committee debating what needs to happen for stocks to stage a rally. Joining me for the hour today, Joe Terranova, Liz Young, Jason Snipe, and Steve Weiss. Let's show you the market. 12 noon in the east. We're red across the board today as we build up to that big moment at 2 o'clock. There's the Dow down by 15. It's been trying to figure out where it wants to go, but really... It's wait-and-see mode. NASDAQ is selling off a bit, 127. 297 is the yield on the 10-year. Liz Young, biggest rate hike in two decades expected. Steve Leisman says a fast and furious cycle is expected. Has the market priced in enough of the Fed? Right now, the market is saying that the anticipation is literally killing us. And I think, again, the anticipation of this will be worse than the actual event. But we are in the thick of it for May, June, and July. This is when we're expecting to get 50 basis points, maybe another 50 or 75, and I think another 50 after that. And the market has to decide if it was enough and if it's working. What we have going for us right now is that we get probably that 50 bips today. We're going to get two more CPI readings before the June 16th meeting. So we might be able to confirm a peak in inflation before we have to do the next hike. If that happens and the Fed relaxes a little bit, we feel more relaxed as consumers. I think that you have an opportunity for the second half of this year to shape up pretty well. Yeah. Jason Snipe, I keep hearing that the the Fed needs to leave some sort of dovish feeling with investors today. Certainly not the opposite or the market is probably not going to like that. The problem is that's not what Brad Gerstner is expecting. Hope you heard our conversation with him yesterday from Milken right here on the half. Here's what he said. We can react on the other side. Promise you, when we hear from the Fed tomorrow, on May 4th, they are going to be as hawkish as they've ever been. And the reason for that is because they don't want the market to back off from those rate expectations. But then we're going to get that May 11th CPI print. I I believe we're going to see it lower month over month. I think that will happen again in June and happen again in July. I think we're going to see further signs of global slowing. And I expect by the end of summer to uh, early fall, you'll hear from the Fed, right, that they've accomplished some of their goals with these rate hikes. What do you make of that, Jason, as, as hawkish as they've ever been? Yeah, Scott. I mean, obviously, you know, as Liz mentioned, I mean, the, the, this cycle, you know, in terms of the, the QT has is one of the best telegraph cycle there is. So, the 50 basis point hike today, I think, is totally baked into the cake. I think, you know, an upside surprise here is very slim. You know, but what I will say, and, and I think Brad hit it, hit the nail on the head here, as we look to CPI next week um, and we look to other inflationary prints this week, what we've seen already is the headline numbers have been high. They've been really hot, whether it's PPI, PCE or CPI. 
Um, but core, core numbers have started to moderate some. And I do agree here. If we see uh, a CPI print next week that is a little lighter than expected and core and durable goods start to continue to siphon off, I think that's, that's, that's a tailwind for the market. And, and it's going to be a tough, tough slay, no doubt about it, this next quarter, this quarter that we're in. But I do think we could see clearer skies ahead if there's not enough, as much pressure on the Fed and, and the market and the economy is doing some of the work. Man, they, they got a lot of pressure on them. Ken Griffin calls this the most uncertainty since the great financial crisis. Paul Tudor Jones of the Fed, very, very tough position that they are in. Powell needs to thread the needle. He really does. He has such a tough task. Steve Leisman, our senior economics reporter, is in D.C. ahead of the historic Fed decision. The first in-person one, I guess, for a news conference, Steve, in, in a long time because of the pandemic. But he does have a very, very tough task, and I'm sure he knows that. I think that's right, Scott. I think that, you know, we always say thread the needle. It's a, it, it, sometimes that's what the Fed does is it threads the needle. Uh, it's got uh, perhaps a lot more at stake here this time on threading the needle because there's not a lot of wiggle room here. Um, when I look at a couple things, what's expected today, what the market expects in the future, that's really where it is. So 50 base point rate hike today hasn't done that since uh, in 22 years. $95 billion in monthly balance sheet runoff. That's the most it would have ever done. And that, that, they'll ramp up to that, obviously. And then the language that people are expecting is they'll say in the statement that we're moving expeditiously towards neutral, which is that two and a quarter, two and a half percent rate. Now, take a very quick look, Scott, at the at the outlook here for, for rates. Uh, look at that. Two percent by August, three percent by January. Uh, and then there's your terminal rate, 345. So still a ways to go. Uh, and then it starts to come down a little bit. That's what the market is betting. One other thing I want to show you here, Scott, which is Look at that, 100% chance right now in the market, which I think, by the way, is aggressive, mm -hmm. 450 base point rate hike through September, and there's a 51% chance, uh, I think it was Liz who was talking about this idea, of 75. The market is trading right now with a 75 base point hike for July. I think the market is too certain. I don't think it's wrong. I just think it's too certain because I don't think Powell knows what he's going to do uh, past June. I think it was Jason who was talking about the idea, maybe you do see some cooling off. I think the Fed does 50 now, 50 later, uh, 50 to the next meeting, th that is. And I think it probably goes back down to quarters if it does get the help from the inflation numbers that Jason's talking about. And it almost doesn't matter what the longer road outlook is going to be. It's the here and now, not only what happens today, but in the subsequent meetings that are that are right in front of us. And we talk about this threading the needle, Steve. The, the, the problem is the eye of the needle is smaller than ever. Right. So getting that thread through there is going to be very, very difficult. I'm wondering. Can, can I just pick up on that, Scott? Yeah, because yeah. here's what's here's the thing. It's like there's a needle and there's a thread. And the eye of that needle is 11 months or 12 months or 13 months down the road. You can't even see it because the real question we're having here is not should the Fed raise rates. Of course it should. Even if you did not have an inflation problem, the Fed should be hiking rates. The question is. Can it hike rates, get it back to neutral, solve the inflation problem, and do so without what our Fed survey is predicting, a recession 16 or 15 months down the road? But I would also suggest, I mean, you know, a, a year ago or wh whatever the appropriate time would have been to start raising interest rates, the eye of the needle was like a hula hoop. 
and it's been <laughs> shrinking and shrinking and shrinking and shrinking because they waited so long, and that's why their task is so difficult. I'm wondering now what is, Steve, the perfect scenario for stocks in, in the near term. I want your answer, and then I wanna, I'm going to let you run because I know you got to bounce, and then I want to talk to the committee. I'm thinking like, okay, 50 today and a, a clear signal, as clear as he could possibly be, uh, 50 next time for example, probably I, is okay. 50 I think today, that's okay. 50 yeah. today and, and understanding that it might be 75 next time, I don't think the market's good with that. Um, look, I think the market is going to have to take what's given to it at this point as the Fed. I, I don't think Powell wants to do a 75 until he has to. And I think he, when he has to is when he's done a couple 50s uh, and perhaps then takes a look around and he's not getting the cooperation from the numbers. The perfect scenario for the market is that China opens up. We end these supply chain disruptions. We solve the problem of energy and food coming out of Ukraine and Russia. It's a tall task that really is the issue here, Scott, and that you do, in fact, get inflation coming down while the Fed moves up to neutral. And it can get to neutral and stop somewhere around two and a quarter two and a half. But that, if you listen to somebody like Larry Summers, is wishful thinking with rose-colored glasses. Yeah. Steve, I know you got to go, so I'm going to let you do that. Sure. Um, we look forward to seeing you in a couple hours' time. It's going to be a very interesting afternoon. So, Joe, I come to you with the same question I asked Steve. You, you heard what he had to say. What is the perfect scenario for stocks today? Up. Oh. I'm pretty sure that Steve would disagree with what I'm about to say. I'm pretty sure you're going to disagree with it, and most people would be disagreeing with it. I think a hawkish Fed is a credible Fed. I want more. I want them to do it now. I want them to fight inflation in the moment. China will reopen, and when China reopens, we are going to see an acceleration in global growth. Why is it that when we introduce emergency measures— we could cut interest rates 100 basis points on a Monday morning like we did in 2020 when we cut them 50 basis points two weeks ago. But yet when we take away the interest rate cuts, we do it very slowly. In 2008, we, rate, we lowered interest rates 400 basis points. We did 375 basis point cuts. I think what the market would rally on is if we had a very aggressive Fed that lowers the expectation on market participants as to what the Federal Reserve is going to have to do, do too much right now. I think markets would be fine with that. I just don't know. Steve Weiss, do you think they'd be fine with that? Because I don't know what the likelihood of that happening is. It seems slim and none. And Kramer's made that argument. They're going too slow. Just do a lot like Joe says now. We'll figure it out. But you guys are so far late and behind that you got to make up for it and just do it now. Well, Scott, I, I think that's really half the equation what the Fed does. And yes, we have to focus on it. I don't think the Fed gets more hawkish in terms of 75 bips now. I think 50, which is a long way from where they were just a few months ago, is going to do it um, today. And I think the market can rally and it's another rally I'd sell. But let, let me give you some background. My thing. So I'm out at Milken, been out in LA since uh, since February, and caught up with some old friends and made some new ones. So sat down, name it with a who's who, whether it's Lasky, whether it's uh, Sternlich, Joe Manchin, uh, Josh Friedman, phenomenal investor at Canyon, Jim Gordon, phenomenal private equity, sovereigns, and I could tell you that there's a buyer strike, 
So yes, the market will eventually come back, but right now, everybody, aside from Brad, who I spent a half an hour with, you know, after he was on air, um, you know, they're all negative. And they're negative because of what's going on below the market. So of course, the nuclear situation for the market is, is Putin. Nobody knows what he's going to do. Not the, head, not the former head of the cabinet, uh, for the department, former head of Department of Defense for the cabinet, both under Trump and Obama, you know, but they are more worried than sanguine about what's going on. Maybe there's now, too much negativity. Season, Maybe there's too much negativity to your there point. Is. If everybody out there is so negative, that's probably why Gerstner's like, these people talking about. I mean, a lot is already yeah, in the if market. You listen, if you, no, I don't think so. If you, if you listen to what, what Brad said, he said, by in a year or two, you're going to be okay. It depends on your time frame. I'm looking down. I'm looking at my price of entry, my point of entry, and I still think I get a better point of entry. And you know what? If I miss the bottom by 10%, who cares because it'll be a long way up. But I don't want to lose more money in the market. So I'm going to wait. And when you take a look at the private equity market, which I'm focused on, those prices have held up. So those have to come down also. There's never been an economic cycle where the private markets haven't come down, look, and that's a six-month lag. You have been so right. Look, it doesn't you've matter. Been, you've been right. You've been right. You've been right to be negative. You have been right to be negative um, because the market has been upset. Um, and the question is, are we at a point or nearing that point where we're not going to be upset anymore, where the market has come to grips fully with what lies yeah. ahead, and then it can stage a rally, as some have called for. Cantor's Eric Johnston telling me the other day, 8 to 10 percent in May. Whole thing could happen in May. Gerstner's trying to put some money to work now. Obviously, he's not talking about for the next 10 minutes. But if you're looking right. out where your horizon is, valuations have come down a lot. I look at what you're doing, though, and you're selling a lot. You continue to sell. Mm -hmm. You sold on semi, mm -hmm. Jable. You sold Amazon on the back of what was a disappointing quarter. So you're, you're consolidating still in the face of the concerns that you have about this market. Right. So let's go through each one. So on semi, sold out for the year, had a good quarter, actually traded up in the quarter. Uh, and it's held up relatively well versus the other semis. But, you know, I'm looking to put money into stocks that haven't, haven't held up well. My sale on Delta, which everybody criticized, well, they just reported a phenomenal quarter. I mean, 17% in two weeks. I'd have to be a moron not to book that profit, given that I've losses elsewhere. In terms of Jabil, they've held up well also. So why not take some off the table? In terms of Amazon, if you take a look at what's happening, take a look at IBM, which had a good quarter. I was wrong about that. You know, they're, they're doing well. And guess where they're doing well? They're making moves in web services. And talking to some people, such as the, uh, the IT guy at a very large hospital chain, he's agnostic as to which cloud service he uses. So there's price competition going on. Things just don't grow forever, regardless of the industry. So we can take money, we can take profits, you do it. So I think Amazon, you know, it's okay, but I'm, I'm very, very worried about the consumer. So what the Fed does is only part of it. You've got a consumer that's underwater with 70% of the country living paycheck to paycheck. So if the Fed eases up, consumer doesn't give a damn because they're still paying very high prices at the pump and for food. So I'd rather be cautious at this point. And yeah, you know, but you still have the Belskis. You still have the others saying, no, buy, let's buy, 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 buy. And the people that don't have to put money in the market, that can either put it in or hold it for a better time, 
as my experience, are waiting okay. to hold it for so, another time. Liz, I don't have to be invested. The, the, the same question that I, I asked some of the others, the perfect scenario for stocks to rally beginning today after the press conference is what? The perfect scenario, well, first of all, perfect never really happens exactly how we want it to. I, I think know, but you know what I'm alluding that, to. Is that we get what we're expecting today, which is 50 basis points. I want to react to Joe's comments a little bit. Falling into a crisis is much different than coming out of one. So we went in in an ambulance, and that was a rescue mission by the Fed to prevent further contagion through financial markets and to really throw things off. At this point, yes, were we, were we on the drugs for too long? Probably. Did we get to a point where this is a little bit scary inflation-wise? Absolutely. But weaning us off the drugs has to be a more delicate act than putting us on them. So I think they have to do this in a methodical way. What I don't think is a perfect situation is for them to go 50 and then 75 and then back down to 50. That's going to confuse the market. We need steady. We need clear expectations. We need Jerome Powell to continue to hate surprises. But what they've done is they've left the door open to be more hawkish, more aggressive if they have to be. I just don't think they're going to have to be. I think that it will take care of itself as we move through the summer where you're going to see those expectations, as Joe mentioned. Yeah. You're going to see the expectations for the neutral rate come down. You're going to see the speed that the Fed has to move come down. And the market will react appropriately in a rally fashion. Now, I want to define rally, too. I hope we don't have an 8 to 10% May because I think we're going to give that back. So I think we can start a small rally here, but it needs, again, to be steady and to be focused. Joe, I mean, I, I thought Liz very eloquently answered your question, right? I mean, you keep the patient alive by any means necessary. When you feel like they're ready to go out, you don't tell them to go run a marathon right away. So that, that's why they're, they're, they need to be more deliberate. Granted, they're late, very late. But nonetheless, they need to be deliberate along the process now. I go back to this whole idea of if they, they're going to raise 50 today, unless it's a shocker, right? It really comes down to what the language is for next time. The market assumes it's going to be 50 and then 50, and then maybe another 50. If it's 50 today and he says, no, I don't know. I mean, it could be, it could be 75. I mean, we're just going to see. I don't think that's going to soothe Joe, the, the market, at all. So here's where I, I, I disagree. Um, in 2008, the removal needed to be slow. You had an economy that was coming from a balance sheet recession. In 2020, remember, the market went down 35% in 33 days. We recovered all of those losses by August, by August. So we actually did way too much. And now because we did way too much, we've got a monetary climate that's the most challenged in the last 40 years because you have the presence of inflation and you have to fight that. Now, you're talking about the market rallying 8 to 10 percent in the month of well, May. I'm not talking let's about it. That's what everyone, somebody else said. Let, 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 let's remind everyone the market should rally in the month of May. OK, it's well known. Goldman Sachs put out a report on Monday about it. The blackout window ends for S&P 500 companies. So by the middle of May, all these companies are coming in to buy their stock. But Steve mentioned something that's really interesting. Private equity valuations, still high. Where are real estate valuations? Still high. Where's the crypto market? Still high. You still have excessive speculation in the market as a result from all the stimulus, 
both fiscal and monetary that went into the system, the abundant liquidity, and it has to come out fast. Okay. Right. And it's not coming out fast enough. Okay. We'll make that the last word for this. Scott, Scott can no, I make- no, we got to wait, Steve. I got to take a break. I really do. Okay. I promise. I'll get you back. Uh, Starbucks is surging on the back of its earnings, having its best day since November of 2020. And one of our investment committee members just bought that stock. They have another big one to talk about, too. Halftime's back in just two minutes. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one which means we do the little things right so that we can keep our promises and you can keep yours too. That's what drives us. To learn how OD can help your business keep its promises, visit odfl.com. Old Dominion, helping the world keep promises. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash halftime report. That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started. All right, up, down, all around for the major averages ahead of the Fed. Steve Weiss, before we talk about Starbucks, what did you want to say? Well, Joe's conflating two issues. Uh, He talks about the V-shaped recovery in the market when COVID hit. And yeah, that's true. But that wasn't the Fed's focus. The Fed wasn't hasty and moving. They said the economy is going to be hurting for a while. So they should have eased. And I said in my earlier comments, They're focused on the economy. Right now, they can give a damn about the markets. They only care about inflation and what it does to people, period. So that's where you got to focus on demand destruction and what that does to multiples. Well, sure. No, they want to get excess speculation out of the market, the kind of speculation that Joe was talking about. I mean, they don't care if the market goes down in that process. They don't want to destroy the stock market. They don't want to just destroy no, they don't. All, all, they don't. all of that wealth. And that's in part what makes their uh, act such a balance. It's so delicate. Totally get yeah, it. Ab- absolutely. Let, let's absolutely. Talk, yeah, let's talk Starbucks now. Rallying on the back of its earnings, one of our investment committee members actually just bought the stock, which has been in the penalty box big time. Stephanie Link joining us, uh, I think, on the podcast. Yeah, there you are. Hey, Steph. So why would you jump in to uh, Starbucks Hi. here? 
I, because I think it's really exciting here right now. I think you're at an inflection point. The stock is down 35% from July 21 uh, highs. And I thought the quarter was actually really pretty good. You got to give Kevin Johnson, the former CEO, the credit. But Howard Schultz now can take that and run with it in terms of building momentum. The comps of, in the U.S. at 12% were super impressive, much better than expected. Um, and that just speaks to the demand, right? And that speaks to that people want their products and still want their products. Uh, in China, not so much, down 23%. But we know China is actually going to reopen at some point. And then you have two things that I think are sort of interesting. They eliminated the buyback, the $20 billion buyback that they put in place. And so now they have cash and, and money to actually invest in products, in people, in stores. And they're starting to do that. And I think they've got to do something in food. And I think they will. And then you have a catalyst. You have the uh, analyst day in September, where I think that Howard Schultz will uh, do a very good job in talking about how there's a lot of upside and opportunity. For the company. Just thinking about like, um, you know, prospects of a slowing economy. You mentioned China, right? We, of course, China is going to reopen. Uh, we don't know when. And we don't know to what degree their economy is going to slow either. And then you have the union issue. It's just a, like a lot in front of Howard Schultz, who's interim, by the way, to deal with. Yep. But he's going to stay on the board, right? So even when they hire somebody new, that he'll still be involved very much. And the stock is down, as I mentioned, 35% from July 2021. That's a lot. A lot of bad news is in this stock. At 23 times forward estimates, the stock is at the low end of its historical range. So I started with a small position, mm -hmm. and I'm just going to continue to add, because okay. I do believe in their brand power, and I believe in Howard Schultz. Joe, you used to own it, and you don't anymore. You just got fed up, I suppose, with the downdraft in the stock. I did. The exit was a good one, but I've been watching it, waiting for an opportunity to get back in. I like Steph's strategy here. I think for me personally, I want a little bit more clarity on who ultimately is going to be the CEO. What at that September investor day, the growth vision for this company is going to be. This is a much different company in 2022 than the company that Howard Schultz left in 2018. 75% of all of the orders are either mobile order, drive-through, or delivery. You have a younger customer base. So I think the vision towards the future is going to give me more clarity, and I'll probably enter the stock at that price. But I like what Steph's doing here, and I know the way Steph thinks about markets, and she's slowly going to be buying this stock for the remainder of the year, I would imagine. Okay. Let's talk about another move you made, Steph. You no longer have any exposure at all to the semi-space, which is pretty interesting. You sold Broadcom. And that was the last of it. Yeah. And, you know, I, I had sold uh, NXPI and LAM Research. But both were very big positions for me at the beginning of the year. So I sold them, made some pretty good money over a two-year time frame. Same with Broadcom, too. But I really do not like the action, the way AMD is trading. That was a phenomenal quarter. I mean, 71% total revenue growth, guiding 60% revenue growth because Xilinx is so much more synergistic to the company, but also underlying demand, especially in data center. I mean, there was nothing wrong, and the stock is up 2%. Uh, and this stock, by the way, is also down 44% from its high. So low expectations, and the stock can't rally. I am also a little bit concerned, and this is the bigger picture, and this is why I sold the other semis. I am a bit concerned um, about double and triple ordering because they can't, you know, their customers can't get their stock. Stuff. So you're seeing that. And I think that's going to come home to roost at some point. Not right now, because supply chains are still a problem. But at some point, that's going to come back to roost. And I think that uh, I don't want to be in these names, at least for now, in the next couple of months. We'll, we'll revisit if they, if they pull back. I mean, there is worry about PCs and 
strength in gaming and things like that. Your points are well taken. Steph, I appreciate it very much. That's Stephanie Link. Let's talk about some other moves, Thanks, guys. Um, Steve Weiss, you sold Micron. Is that right, MU? I did, I did. And um, I didn't buy it that long ago. And what turned into a winning trade for about five minutes turned into let me get out with my money intact. And, and here's why I did it. And to Steph's point, she's dead on. Take a look at Skyworks today. Take a look at Corvo. Both, you know, Skyworks was in line. It actually beat this quarter, and it was in line for the next quarter. Corvo was a beaten raise. And what are the stocks? They're down 10% and 5%. So, look, they look cheap. They look cheap, frankly, 30% higher. The bottom's not in for any of these. Skyworks hitting a 52-week low. So I've got a lot of concern about double ordering, which nobody will admit to. And I've got concerns about inventory buildup. And I've got concerns also about China and what's going on geopolitically. So I don't want to be in those stocks. So we can talk all day long about how Micron is trading at, you know, four times earnings or five times earnings. That's if the earnings exist now. And you know what? I think you can have another 10% down each of these stocks. So again, I'd rather wait. Then then Jason Snipe, that doesn't bode all that well for NVIDIA, which is already sold down hard, right? The darling stock of of a lot of people, 192 is where it currently sits, 52 week high, 346. Yeah, and I and I hear the points obviously on double ordering and and kind of the state of the supply chains and what's going on in China. I think that makes a lot of sense. But I think this is a story that that plays back to your investor time horizon, where you are, uh, and really just understanding that obviously a lot of these semis they power many of the things that we do. So the business model for NVIDIA, the business model for the Qualcomm's of the world, these are names that are just long-term holds for me. So I'm not in and out of these names, you know, and, and I know they're obviously, they have a cyclical tilt and that, that plays into some of the volatility as well. But um, for me, I, I'm not gonna do anything here with NVIDIA um, and, and some of the other chips that I own, but I could understand the, the points and I think they're well taken. Joe, you wrap it up with AMD because you own it, right? And as Steph said, I, I don't know how you could come away from that quarter with any better feeling of, of what's happening with AMD and the job that Lisa Sue is doing there. Nonetheless, the market votes, right? And the market, the market is going to do what it's going to do. Or what are you doing with the stock? I'm holding AMD. It's in Joe T. I own it personally. I love the valuation. I love the growth and the market share and computer processors. And I think overall, I like Jason's comments when he's thinking about semiconductors here. Active management's coming back, and the semiconductor industry is the exact place where you have to be active. You have to be tactical. We sold Joe T. Out of Mike, uh, we sold Micron out of Joe T uh, the other day. So there are semiconductors named that I don't think you want to own here. Intel, certainly one of them, after listening to AMD's report and seeing their earnings last week. I think it's idiosyncratic. It's all about which single stock you might want to own. I own NVIDIA and I own AMD. I'm going to stay with them. All right, coming up as the Fed takes center stage, CNBC polled our stock contributors on which sectors will outperform from here and the individual stocks they're most focused on right now. We're going to reveal those results. We're going to debate some of the picks as well. One hour, 28 minutes, 50 seconds. We're back after this. You seek the key, but first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. 
with a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Welcome back to the Halftime Report. I'm Frank Holland. Here's your CNBC News update at this hour. At the White House today, President Biden attended a celebration for Team USA with almost 600 Tokyo and Beijing Olympians and Paralympians, including more than 200 medalists. Earlier, he told reporters he's working on putting additional pressure on Russia over its war on Ukraine. With regard to the additional sanctions, we're always open to additional sanctions. And I've been in consultation. I'll be speaking with the members of the G7 this week about what we're going to do or not do. And COVID is making a comeback in Maine, forcing some schools to go to remote learning. At least eight schools have reported an outbreak with over 1,000 cases reported among all schools in that state. And Silicon Valley venture capitalist John Durr is giving $1.1 billion to Stanford University, the second largest academic donation on record. The money will be used to create a school focused on climate change and sustainability. Durr tells The New York Times that climate is going to be the new computer science, an area that young people want to work in for all the right reasons. Tonight on the news, corporate America struggles with the national abortion debate. Should companies get involved? Halftime, coming back after this. Countdown is on. Less than 90 minutes to go before the Fed decision, that critically important news conference to follow in person for the first time in a long time. Our Steve Leisman is there. You can bet on a question from Steve, and then you can get a lot of answers from Jeffrey Gunlock coming up in overtime today because he's going to be with me exclusively at 4 o'clock Eastern time in overtime. The Double Line CEO is going to have a lot to say. I hope you'll join me for that. Our CNBC Flash survey polled our contributors and money managers on where they want to invest between now and the end of the year, taking obviously the Fed into consideration. Energy, their top pick from a sector level, followed by technology. One very interesting change from the last few weeks. We polled them at the end of March. 62% financials said financials were a top pick. Today, Liz Young, that answer is zero. Can you believe that? Nobody. I was hoping I wasn't going to Nobody. Get that <laughs> nobody wants to invest in the financials. Take SoFi uh, I, out of your answer, but let's talk about the other financials. I'm a little surprised. I'm a little surprised there was nobody. But that actually tells me that there's a decent opportunity. If you're a contrarian, there's a decent opportunity to buy it for a possible bounce. Now, if I'm consistent with my thoughts from earlier in the show, if we do have a relaxation in Fed policy and they don't need to get to the end as quickly as we're expecting right now, 
you should see a comeback in places like financials, industrials, even small caps. I never miss an opportunity to talk about small caps. So I am a little surprised that nobody wants financials. Uh, I've been a financials bull for a long time. I haven't exited a financials position, but I also haven't added to it. It's something that I'm waiting out. Jason Snipe, what about this energy uh, answer from folks. I find that's pretty interesting too, right? 70% at the end of March, best performing sector, people like to run with the crowd. Uh, now it's only 36. Yeah, yeah, but it's still, it's still in the top quartile. And I think, you know, on the inflationary front side, you know, one, it's still trading at a discount to the market. And obviously it, it's an inflationary hedge. It's, it's good. It runs well with inflation. And, and I think there's folks that, obviously, as you're looking at crude oil as a proxy and all the unrest, you know, in Ukraine, folks are buying energy on the dip. It has pulled back some in terms of what we all think about it, but I do think it's still an opportunity here. I like some other sectors better, but I think energy could still do well. What do you like better? I like healthcare. I like healthcare. I think there's just so many tailwinds here. So whether whether you believe that we are late cycle or we're trying, you're you're trying to be defensive here. I think one, uh, just a just a tight labor market is is soothing to the to the healthcare market. Uh, preventative care, folks are back at work, they're doing their thing. And I think there's also demographic tailwinds as a as an aging popular population. Uh, needs to really hit the healthcare marketplace and, and to service their needs. So I, I like healthcare here. I think there's some opportunity. It's interesting. You're not the only one, by the way. Bank of America calls it their favorite overweight. I had Pimco's Erin Brown on yesterday revealing her big new playbook, and healthcare was at the top of her list too, Steve. Um, late cycle. That's one of the reasons that people are picking healthcare in this environment. Yeah, and Scott, you know, I mean, I look at you and I say, wow, the population really is aging fast. So Democrats, the demographics, to uh, Jason's point, underscore that. But look, healthcare is also very recession resistant. So as you go through any of the other sectors, where do you wind up? Healthcare. Plus, let's not lose sight of the fact, while there are so many open jobs out there, companies, in order to be more competitive, have to upgrade the benefits that they offer to workers. So that also goes to health care. So I don't own United Health. I keep waiting for a major decline to buy it. I've never gotten it. But to me, they're the leader in the sector. We saw how Moderna put up a great quarter today. The stock is down. That's not a tomorrow stock. That's a stock in the future as so the platform comes to fruition. And that'll be a winner. So I like healthcare also. And if I didn't whiff on filling out the survey, you would have seen at least one vote for financials because I do think they're cheap. I haven't shaved my positions to either Goldman or B of A because they're cheap. So they'll do well, but it'll be a little rockier for them. Yeah, I mean, of course they're cheap. I mean, Mayo was with me yesterday in overtime. Mike Mayo, of course, top-ranked bank analyst from uh, Wells Fargo Securities, said, I've never been so right on the fundamentals of the banks and so wrong on the stocks when pressed to, you know, when are these stocks going to start working again? Joe, in healthcare, though, let's get back to that because that's where Jason took us and uh, smartly so. A lot of people like it here. At the beginning of the year, Scott, I told you that it was my favorite sector. Healthcare trades at a valuation discount coming into 2022 of nearly 20%. That's your widest discount relative to the S&P in the last 30 years. Uh, the Joe T ETF is heavily invested, overweight in healthcare, 20% exposure relative to the S&P at 
a lot of names that I own personally, medical devices, large cap pharma. I do own United Health, and I think biotech. But in biotech, I want to ensure that you're in large cap biotech. Look at today, Amgen and AbbVie both higher while you have the XBI down by 2%. So be careful with that one, but co inclusively healthcare, but without question, from a sentiment and positioning perspective, provides an opportunity because we came into this year sentiment depressed, positioning underweight, and I think now you're seeing a rebuild in both. Okay, so we not only asked people, as I said, about the sectors they like, we asked individual stocks as well. So coming up, we're gonna go through a few of those names as well. We do have some earnings movers to hit after the break. Plus, join the CNBC Fantasy Stock Draft Challenge. You can scan that code right there or go to cnbc.com backslash stock draft challenge. You can build your virtual portfolio, track your progress, trade to win and play for free. And that's the best part. Halftime's back in two. All right, Uber. There it is. Doesn't look as bad as Lyft. Joe, you used to own Uber. I know you're glad you're not in it today. And as lousy as Lyft looks, what's your read here on what Uber delivered? Um, I mean, clearly, if I have a choice of owning one of the two, I'm going to go with Uber. I just think from a, a fundamental and managerial perspective, they're doing a much better job than Lyft here. But I, I, I think there's larger concerns um, both in terms of, of pricing, a lot of the, the pressures that they're feeling, uh, both from labor and, and really just generally the return to a more normalized environment, which I think most of us would agree we're not yet in that place and mostly talking about the business climate. And I think that's what Uber ultimately is going to need. So uh, I, even though we've got a significant price decline and I've suggested that's the one to own, I wouldn't step in and buy it here. Yeah. Weiss, what about you? Right. Either Lyft or Uber. I mean, both stocks, as I said, Lyft is such a it's getting such a beatdown today. Yeah. You know, actually, I know Lyft management. I'll disagree with, with Joe there. I think they're excellent and very focused. Um, look, I think they're putting the yellow cabs out of business for all intents and purposes. So ultimately, they should be profitable, but I can't own them now because profitability is still elusive. And you've also got Uber, which, what is it? Is it food delivery? Is it, you know, is it taxi? What, what is it? So I, I wouldn't, you know, if I were going to own one for the theme, I'd probably buy Lyft down at this level. But as I said, I don't like unprofitable companies in this environment. I don't like many profitable companies. So I'm not yeah, stretching. That's, that's for sure. Uh, you just saw the promo, too. Uh, Dara is going to be on. The Uber CEO is going to be on tomorrow morning at 830. There, there he is. First on CNBC interview uh, with the Uber CEO. All right. Coming up from our CNBC stock picker flash poll, I'm going to give you the one stock to be in right now, according to the voters. The committee gives us their best ideas next. Now to more insight from our CNBC Flash survey, where we polled our contributors and money managers for their best stock ideas right now. We do have a diverse list of names. There you go. You can see some of them on the board there. Um, Qualcomm, stock's down huge from its 52-week high. And maybe that's part of the premise here from some, the way they're thinking. Netflix, down 73. 
Uh, that's quite interesting. Jason, you bought more net. Uh, I'm sorry. You bought more Qualcomm after its earnings. I did. You know, so obviously, I mean, Qualcomm is, has done a great job diversifying away from the handset game, handset game and is, is in autos now. They've, you know, the licensing business, obviously litigation is behind them and they're trading at 11 times forward. And they really had a strong print uh, last week. EPS growth beat on revenue and strong guidance in this type of environment. So I like Qualcomm here. I think it's it's reasonably priced, strong valuation. So I think there's an opportunity. Joe Palo Alto on the list. Yep, struggling today, that's for sure, uh, along with some other cyber names like uh, Fortinet. But I'll stay with Palo Alto here. Um, I like the market share that they've been able to attain over the last several quarters that's been reflected in what has been strong earnings, a reasonable valuation relative to the others. I understand that it's that valuation seems a little bit high to a lot of areas of technology, but I like Palo Alto. It's a longer term play uh, and I'm happy to own it. Here. United HealthWise. Now, I know we talked healthcare, but that was uh, one of the picks on, on the on the on the list, the top of the list. Look, the, the company executes flawlessly. They're, they're the gorilla in the space. They can drive pricing. Um, I mean, they're everywhere. Why wouldn't you want to own it? It's not cheap, but it shouldn't be cheap. So, yeah, you know, look, I got to buy it at some point. Just have to. Yeah, Valero, Joe, 52 week high, speaks to the energy trade right here. Yep, yep. gasoline in particular, driving season. Uh, I'm pretty sure this is a, a favorite name of our good friend, Mark Fisher. I think there's a lot more upside to come in uh, VLO. I also heard Guy Adami talking about it on the. Uh, five o'clock show as well. I'd stay in the name. Okay. We're back with Final Trades next. All right. Another reminder to tune into overtime tonight at four o'clock Eastern. Double Lines Jeffrey Gundlach joins me exclusively to react to the Fed. Please join me then. Before we get to Final Trades. All right, Liz Young, another thought. Walk us up here because it's going to happen in about an hour or so, and then you're going to get that all-important news conference. Yeah, I mean, I might be alone in saying that I'm excited to hear what happens, but I think the market is still trying to figure out what's the right direction. And again, we're nearing the, the moment of truth. I think there's going to be a little bit of a relief rally afterwards, just that we got it over with. I hope that it's not too big of a rally because then we probably have to correct it a little bit. But I would expect a little positivity on the other side of this. Yeah, Jason Snipe. Yeah, I think uh, obviously, like we like you talked about earlier at the top of the show. I mean, the 50 base point hike is baked into the cake. Let's get it done. Let's move forward. Let's get data dependent late summer and see where things go. Joe, um, you know, for somebody who wants as aggressive um, a move as you do. Um, what's the thing that's going to upset the market the most today, do you think? Richard Fisher the other day talked about when he was part of the Federal Reserve that he did not want mortgage-backed securities added to the balance sheet. If today there's an acknowledgement that potentially the Federal Reserve would be an active seller of MBS, I think that would upset the market. Yeah, I mean, we've talked about that maybe being the catalyst to, you know, crack, if you want to use that word, the housing market. If mortgage rates rising to the degree they have haven't done that already, um, that maybe that is the thing. So maybe you're right. We'll, we'll watch closely to that. Why don't you give me a final trade to kick us off, uh, Steve Weiss, so you can go do whatever you got to do out at the Milken Conference in L.A.? 
Yeah, first of all, let's get out more often, number one. Number two, Milton Conference, best conference I've been to in 30 years. Unbelievable. Final trade is I'm buying the Qs and I'm buying the Spies as soon as the show's over. I think the market will rally after the Fed, but if you do it, use a tight stop on it so you don't get run over and only stay there for the afternoon or through tomorrow morning. Oh, so really super short term. Wow. Okay. Thank you. Yep. Super short term. Trade. Thank you. Carry on. Liz Young, final trade. Uh, Short-term treasuries. I think that we're ahead of ourselves at the two-year portion of the curve here, and the Fed will relax and they'll come down. Okay. Jason Snipe. I like Honeywell here. A nice revenue beat on the, on the quarter. They've been outperforming the market. Stay long. Okay. And Joe T. Burke, nice boring name. Yeah. All right. Great stuff, everybody. I will see you in overtime with Jeffrey Gunlock. The exchange begins right now. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. At Capella University, you'll get support from people who care about your success. From before you enroll to after you graduate, pursue your goals knowing help is available when you need it. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu.